Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. And Anthony, let's not waste any time, man. Like, let's just jump right into it. Uh, the Phillies last night opened up a series against the Miami Marlins, a team that they have struggled with over the last number of years, a team that always seems to have their number. And it looked like we were going to get another result that looked like a lot of the games that we've seen in 2021, the beginning of this year, 2020 really the last number of years, and we ended up seeing a total 180 at the end of the game, and the Phillies have now won for the 10th time in 11 games, and I don't know about you, but after watching them get a series win against the Diamondbacks this past weekend, that opener last night, I don't know, like you said last time, jokingly, that, you know, hey, let's print some Phillies tickets uh, for the World Series. I, I don't know about that, but I will tell you what, I'm, I'm mighty impressed this morning, so let's just jump right into it, man. Yeah, I, I, the one thing about yesterday's game that I thought was going to be a challenge, I mean, obviously, Alcantara has been pitching lights out, right? I mean, he's been maybe the most impressive pitcher in all of baseball. I mean, it's between him and Nestor Cortez, I think, right, to this point. It's been you know, kind of like surprising everybody as the, as the two guys um, who have been the best in their league uh, pitching so far. So you knew... Alcantara Nola, it was going to be a really good pitching matchup, and Nola was going to have to stay on his on his path that he's been on for much of the season uh, to keep the Phillies in the game because you know just Alcantara is that good, um, and, and pretty much what we got, right? I mean, it's pretty much what we had through six innings, a one-one game. Um, you know, just you know, both those guys dealing pretty well, um, and things started to go a little wonky in the seventh. Um, and we'll get into the, those specific things about certain decisions that were made in the game. Um, but you're right. The, the Marlins get ahead 2-1. And that's, in the past, was the kind of game be like against this team where it was like, that's it. Like that little thing, they, they, there was a, a, an opportunity to challenge a call that they didn't. And then they get burned by Miguel Rojas again, of all people, yeah, right? And that's what it is. It's like, yeah. it's Miguel Rojas. The guy's hitting 210 coming into the game. And here he is, you know, with these backbreaking hits. And you're like, yeah. I have seen, how many times can you watch the same story unfold again and again and again? But this one had a different ending. So, yeah. I mean, you said it. it. Anytime you can can come from behind late and win a game, it's great. Anytime you can beat a team that has given you so many problems, it's a great thing. But to beat Sandy Alcantara and the way that he had been going and the way that he even went through the game last night is, is impressive. I mean, just to kind of put this in context, you can talk about pitchers being on hot streaks and good runs. The five games prior to last night, 41 innings pitched. He's averaging more than eight innings per start. 22 hits allowed, just two earned runs, five walks, 40 strikeouts, and a 0.44 ERA. And the Phillies were able to survive it. I mean, it was ugly. They missed some opportunities last night. It looked like it was going to be one they got away from them, but they, they rally late. And there are some things to unpack in this game, some things that I, I sort of, I guess, scratched my head at a little bit. And then some things I loved that might have kind of uh, flown under the radar a little bit. So we can talk a little bit about the big picture stuff and winning two out of three against Arizona. What do you make of Sunday's game? It was kind of a debacle there. Um, I, I don't put too much stock in that personally. And that's why I almost don't want to rewind too much because we're doing this on Tuesday. We're into the next series. But Well, I'll tell you, Bob, the important thing to me, one of the important things to me about last night is coming off of the game Sunday, right? I mean, so you have a nine-game winning streak, and it ends in a dud, like a, a total – I mean, look, I got to be down there covering the game Saturday, which was great and awesome, and then you had to sit through that four-hour debacle on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, but I mean, you know, but normally, I mean, you know, okay, that was – there was an opportunity. Now you're going into the Marlins and a tough pitcher, and it could be two losses in a row, and then that could, you know, that could start snowballing the other way real quick. So that's why it was so important to, to have the win – 
last night. Um, and now you're looking at this series and you say, look, I mean, look, you're not going to win nine in a row and then lose and then win nine in a row again. It's just unlikely to happen. Okay, so what you have to look at it and the way you got to break it down is you just got to win each series. Right? I mean, just let's win a series and then move on to the next one and see what happens. To get the first one against the Marlins is huge because now you play them two more times. They're not a bad team, even though they're behind you in the standings. Um, they, they are plucky. And so, you, you know, you don't expect to sweep a team like that. So if you get two out of three against the Marlins, that's great. So it's good to get the first one out of the way. And I think that that's you, why it's important to come off of Sunday the way they did. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. You get this prolonged winning streak, and I think it's easy once the momentum halts to kind of then fall back into your pattern and say, all right, well, that was fun while it lasted. And we saw that. And you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen the rest of the series, the rest of this week. But obviously it sets up in favorable fashion for the Phillies. They are positioned to win this series, whether or not they do, we'll see. And then you go play the Nationals for five games, who just frankly aren't very good. But that being said, we saw this last year. They had a little bit of a win streak going into the, I guess, the beginning of August, end of July, and mm-hmm. then and then everything fell apart. You know, they weren't able to, sus- to sustain th- that, that momentum. And so it, it's kind of a different test here now. Can they kind of pick themselves back up? And not that they're going to win eight in a row again, but can you win series? Can you continue to move forward? Yeah. And, and finally, kind of clear yourself of this 500 barrier. We talked about it earlier in this, in this season. One of our episodes was called 500 Forever. I mean, it's just like it's time now to, to get beyond this. They've cleared yeah. the hurdle now, run past it. Yeah, and, and I think that the difference this time around, Bob, um, is that, you know, the, well, two things. One, the lineup is so, so much better than it was last year at that point when they started to collapse. If you, were, if you recall, that happened. Reese Hoskins was on fire at that point. And so you had Harper and Hoskins both going at a, at a tremendous pace. And then Hoskins gets hurt and they had nobody to replace him and nobody else in the lineup was hitting. It was, it was Harper and Harper only. Um, obviously this lineup is deeper, you know, a lot more guys contributing. Um, and it, although the bullpen is still not great, it is better now than it was last year. So, I mean, it, you know, that's, that's faint praise, but at the same time, when you look at the two combined, that's why I don't see the swoon that you saw last year against bad teams. I think the lineup's too good against bad teams, and that even if they get into a game that's a little bit closer, the bullpen's a little bit better and will more often than not be better against a bad team. And so I think that's the difference between the two. So we know what the end result is. I think that there's a lot of credit that should go to uh, Rob Thompson, the staff. I think that they've done a nice job here picking this team up. And there's a, a ton of good things to say. I thought when we were going to record this show, though, this morning, we were going to be talking about a game that kind of got away from the Phillies. And I, for the first time, said, ooh, here are some, some things I didn't quite understand or that I didn't love uh, by the manager. And so I don't want to harp on them too much, but I do want to kind of point them out and just sort of see what you think here. And I know that there's this, this old-school, new-school mentality, this back-and-forth uh, but that certainly came into play last night. But before we even get to that, I do want to talk about uh, a play that happened in the seventh inning. And so we have a 1-1 game. Runs are obviously at a premium uh, last night, the way that Aaron Nola and Sandy Alcantara were throwing the baseball. And you get into the top of the seventh, and there's one out, and John Birdie singles. Um, and so now here we are. You know that probably it kind of the game has, and I know it didn't unfold this way, but it sort of had this next run wins feel to it. And so Birdie steals second base. And in real time, it looked like to me they they had an out. It looked to me like they had an out at second base. Now, was it an absolute indisputable evidence, you know, no-brainer call? No. But I think if you look, and it's tough because... If you look at the way that replay has worked in baseball this season, especially in certain Phillies games, we have seen instances where you're like, if you just piece these two angles together, you can come to a conclusion, reasonably speaking, that we see what the result of this play should be. Now, I do think that last night it was a situation where you could piece multiple angles together and say, probably had an out at second base. Was it definitive? Maybe not. Would I have been totally stunned if the call on the field remained? No, I wouldn't have been. But I just thought, given the situation and given the game flow, that it was probably worth a challenge in that spot. 
your thoughts. Yeah, and, and for no other reason, Bob, than late game after that, when you go to the next two innings, those, those calls are automatically reviewed, right? So what are you holding on to the challenge for? If there's an automatic review in the eighth and ninth inning, what, what are you holding on to the, ch- the seventh inning? Unless you honestly say, oh, well, we might need it in the bottom of the seventh if we get this wrong. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, I, 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 it's, like, it's like holding on to extra timeouts in football, right? And, and you don't get to use them. I, I don't see the, the rationale. That's an important play at that point in the game. And I think you got to use it there. Whether it would have worked or not, I think you got to at least try. And, and well, I mean, that, especially with, they didn't, with Hall of Famer Miguel Rojas on deck. I mean, yeah. you, you got <laughs> to know. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I just looked at it. It wasn't like one of those things where I was up in arms over it, but I was kind of yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like, in, in a different situation, a different game flow, maybe – I just felt like with the runs being at a premium the way that they were, the way that, that Alcantara kind of really started to settle in there, you know, the Phillies had some opportunities earlier in the game against them. It, it just didn't look like that they were going to be able to manufacture three, four runs in this game. Yeah. And I just felt like, hey, you, you've, you've got to try there. And they didn't, and they fall behind. And then that kind of leads us into the, the eighth inning. And this is the one that I really want to talk about because this isn't just about an, an isolated sequence in – game 61 of a 162 game season this is about philosophy and where the state of baseball is and i i kind of just miss this part of the game and it it drives me nuts so you get into a situation last night and i want to talk a little bit about this later uh so reese hoskins starts the eighth inning with a walk and i know that he ends up having the walk-off hit and we can talk about that it's all fine and well the bat that reese hoskins had in the eighth inning to start that rally that ties the game phenomenal falls behind one two works the walk he's going down the line looking into the dugout hopping pointing into the dugout looking at harper i loved it like i loved it we could talk more about that later so then harper walks so you have first and second nobody out now jt real muto has struggled and there's just no doubt about it and he he comes up first second nobody out and he gets out contra who's staying in the game and you could tell the Marlins were inviting this matchup. Like, they wanted this matchup. And the Phillies have a decision to make. Do you let Real Muto swing away, potentially hit into a double play? Maybe he, he moves runners naturally with, with the ball uh, being put in play. But, you know, who knows, right? Or you could bunt. And I know that Reese Hoskins is on second base. I know that he's not the fleetest of foot. But to me, that situation screamed an obvious bunt situation, get the runners over, and then you want to leave Alcantara in the game, great. I'm taking my shots with Didi Gregorius and Odubel Herrera, both of whom are better hitters right now than JT Realmuto is. Or you want to go lefty-lefty, and I know that Gregorius is not great against lefties. I know that he has struggled, hasn't had a ton of looks against them. I still would have taken my shot there. It's a no-brainer, Bob. There is nothing that will convince me um, especially as a home team, in the eighth inning, okay, you have six outs to work with, and you need one run. You have one runner in scoring position. Why not sacrifice one of those outs to get two runners into scoring position? That way a, a, a uh, contact probably ties the game. A hit gives you the lead. It's, like, to me, it, it's, it's a no-brainer. And the fact that they don't do it, in a one run, look, if they're down two, I can kind of, I can see it. I can see, all right, you don't want to bunt them over because maybe you only get the one run home. Oh, sure, yeah, down two, down multiple runs. I'm not giving up the out that late in the game. Yeah, yeah, right. I can, I can kind of, I can see it. But down one run, there's no reason to not do it. There's so many things that could go into a wild pitch, pass ball, anything like that. A fly ball t- will tie the game. The only things that, that, the only thing that would hurt would be, and, and you force the defense to probably play the infield in. So it increases your chances of getting a hit. But the only thing that's that, that with Gregorius and Herrera coming up, the only things that would hurt you are a strikeout. Right. Really. Or, I mean, you had a line drive right at, right at an infielder who's playing in. That's it. You know? Otherwise, you put the ball in play on the ground or in the air, you're likely scoring at least a tying run. I don't understand why you don't – why you go through and, – and what happens? With the worst-case scenario – comes out of it is that Real Muto does what? Hits into a 6-4-3 double, double play. 
So that's, that's even worse than just making a history. It's not like looking at it and saying, see, I told you, but like in real time, I'm like, bunt, just bunt. Yeah. And there are a couple different ways that you can go through this. So like, let's just say, let's assume that Real Muto gets a bunt down and you have second and third. Now they can either leave Alcantara in the game because he's Cy Young right now. And so you want him to pitch in a big moment, or maybe you do go that lefty lefty matchup, which Gregorius ultimately wins anyway. Uh, but like, look at it this way. Like you say, okay, let's say they go to, I guess it was... Uh, Oker, is that who they go to? And so you can, you look at this, right? Gregorius is hitting 278 against lefties this season. Now, he's only had 18 at-bats, all fine and well, but he's also only struck out two times against lefties this yeah. season. His and approach really, this year has changed. And all you're looking for is contact in that spot. So, like, yeah. you feel pretty good about the fact that he's probably going to be able to put the ball in play. And then, oh, by the way, behind that, if you say, okay, well, then you have Odubel Herrera, who, like, I know the entire city hates, and that's all fine and well, but, like, take a closer look at what he's done this season, and you're like, all right, first of all, he's hitting 276, he has an 815 OPS, but then look at his split when you go deeper into it and you see that he's hitting left-handers this season I mean so far this season he's hitting 308 against lefties and again like a decent play in that spot in you know relative to the way that real Muto's gone lately and so I, I know that's not the way the game's played anymore I know that we're probably almost you know at this point the, the ship is sailed the, the train has left the station on, on situational baseball like this, but I just felt like Real Muto Alcantara in that spot was not a good matchup. He had some very awkward looking at bats earlier in the night, and actually no lifetime. He's had some success against Alcantara, but this is a different deal this season, both both because the pitcher's better and because the hitter is not as good as he's been in the past, and just the bats and the way that things sequenced last night. That was a horrible matchup, and the Phillies are fortunate to be able to score coming off of it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. The, the positive in this is that Gregorius' approach has cha completely changed this year. He's hitting the ball the opposite field a little bit. I mean, he doesn't. He's not trying to jerk everything into the right field bleachers, which was a New York Yankees thing because of how easy it is to hit a home run at Yankee Stadium. Um, and it was something that plagued him, uh, you know, last year with the Phillies. So, so it's, it's a really nice thing to see to see him swinging at pitches the way he's swinging at pitches. Absolutely, and if the, the trade-off is going to be more contact, a better hitter, a more consistent hitter, I don't care that he has no home runs in 83 at-bats. It doesn't yeah. matter. Right. Because if you're going to be more productive against the left side, more contact, higher contact rate, be a consistent hitter that can play in the back third of that lineup if need be, you know, that that's that's fine. Like, the Phillies hit enough home runs. They're one of the best slugging teams in all of baseball. I don't need D.D. Gregorius to be a 23 home run guy and hit 230 like some of the other guys in this lineup. Right. That's fine. It's okay to have different profiles amongst your lineup. So, Correct. Correct. Uh, totally okay with it. Been really impressed with him. And he's had some really, really key bats for this team. And, and certainly last night and in the eighth inning, picking up Real Muto in that spot to tie the game uh, and give the Phillies really a chance to go ahead and win it in the ninth was, was huge. And I guess that goes without saying. I guess to pivot back now, we've had this conversation about, well, Rob Thompson, what's the difference between Rob and Joe and and how does the, 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 the switch just flip out of nowhere? And I think that there's a lot of things going on here, right? Like, the Phillies catch a bad Angels team at the right time. The Brewers have been scuffling a little bit lately. They still they go out there, though. And, I mean, some of those wins were so impressive. The way that Zach Gallen had been pitching, they just blow his doors off on Friday night. And then Wheeler's dominant on Saturday. It's been a collection of things. Like, you've seen the bullpen, for the most part, Sunday aside, pitch better. You've seen the lineup at the top produce more. You're seeing... Every single guy in the lineup, even guys who are struggling, still do enough at the right times to kind of come together and, and, and make things happen. That's all a sign of, of a winning team. And, and I think that this situation is set up favorably for the Phillies over the last week and a half or so. But I will tell you where it, it was super evident to me last night. And great job. And just talking about how uh, Reese Hoskins leads off the eighth inning with the walk. Great job by him to, to win the game with the walk-off, and I was surprised, I think, like everybody else, to see that he had never had a walk-off RBI before. But I'm telling you, man, when when he draws that walk in the eighth inning and he goes down the line and looks into first base and he's hopping, and there's like three hops. I actually tweeted about it this morning if you want to see the video, if you, if you missed it in real time. It's, it's like 
That is winning energy. That's how you win games. And let me tell you something about this. We hear all the time, teams say, well, when you don't hit, of course it doesn't look like we're playing with urgency. Of course it doesn't look like we're playing with energy. Hard disagree. I know that when you go out and you struggle to hit over a prolonged stretch, it does look like you're lifeless even if you get in the box and you're like, come on, like I want to do this. But when you see the Phillies go the way that they were going last night, left some opportunities on the table, just had fallen behind, it would have been easy to say, this is just a game that we don't win. We're facing a great pitcher. It's the Marlins. We'll get them tomorrow. We can still win the series. And instead, despite this complete lack of production, Hoskins grinds his way through in a bat, and he's in the dugout. And that's how you create energy. And it doesn't always mean that it's going to happen. It doesn't mean you're always going to get the hit, score the run, win the game. But you do that over a prolonged stretch of time, and I'm telling you, it gives a team an edge. And I think it's starting to show up with the Phillies right now. It was interesting. I don't know if you got a chance to listen um, to WIP yesterday morning. They had Ricky Ricardo on, um, on the morning show. And Ricky Ricardo, who's the uh, Spanish announcer for the New York Yankees, has been for a while. Um, the reason they had him on is because there's a chance that now he's going to become – He's kind of auditioning to become the replacement English-speaking announcer for, for, the, for the Yankees um, because their broadcaster is getting ready to retire. Uh, so John gonna, Sterling? Sterling. Is, he's yeah. 84 years old. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, so Ricky is splitting like um, 30 or 40, you know, whatever, however many road games they have left um, with like two other guys and they're kind of like auditioning for the part. Anyway. So Ricky's been covering, you know, broadcasting for the Yankees for quite some time. And so they asked him, like, well, Ricky, like, why, why is Rob Tom Thompson having success that Joe Girardi didn't? How different are they? And Ricky said, he said, if you're talking about managing a game, they're very similar. They're going to do things very similarly. He said, the only thing, he said, you might see a little bit of a change with the, the relief pitcher rules. But other than that, they're going to manage a game very in very much the same way. He says, where they're completely different is in the clubhouse. Where they're completely different is the relationships with the players. He said, Joe had, had from what he had heard, and of course, he's plugged in, right? From what he had heard, Joe had become crusty Joe, which is what he was, they say, at the very, when he was with the Marlins, back when he first started managing, back in the beginning. Like, he was very very hard on guys, very hard on players, and really not making the clubhouse environment all that, all that exciting, all that interesting. And that by going to, to Rob Thompson, that completely changes because he's the complete opposite. He's like a guy that everybody likes. He's, he's you know, a little bit, he's a little bit folksy like, you know, like Charlie in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, he's got that, he's got that Canadian folksiness to him, which is a little bit different than the Southern folksiness, but same kind of, same kind of concept, right? Um, and, and that kind of like loosens players up and it's what you're talking about. So you have that quote unquote winning energy. Well, where does that come from? That comes from the fact that you feel like you could be yourself in the locker, in the clubhouse. You feel like you could say what you want to say and, and, you know, have some fun in there. And, you know, I'll tell you, Saturday, and now granted, they won the game Saturday and everything's hunky-dory. It's the middle of a nine-game winning streak. But, you know, I walk into that clubhouse and, um, you know, here's Nick Castellanos' kid playing in, like a hardcore ping-pong game with Kyle Schwarber. Like, and they're just going at it. And they're like, you know, getting on each other. And it's a lot of fun. And it's like, this is right after a game, man. Like, and it's, you know, who's got it, you know, guys drinking a beer, having a good time after the game. Like, that was something that I'll tell you. I don't, know if, I don't know if it was like that, Bob, with Girardi. I can't say, you know. Um, but I mean, I'll, I'll go back to the last time I was in that clubhouse, which was pre, I think pre, might have been pre-Girardi. It was certainly Cap, probably Kapler era. I don't ever remember seeing beers in the clubhouse, like readily, openly out in the when the media is in there. Certainly maybe afterwards. I mean, it's not like these guys aren't going to have a beer, right? But I'm just saying there's a beer fridge next to Harper's, next to Harper's uh, 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 spot in the clubhouse. I mean, like this is kind of like a cool environment. They got that big open blinking sign in the one, uh, the one uh, locker area, you know, open for business, and they got the music playing and everything. It's a it's a cool environment for guys in their late twenties, early thirties, and I think that that's that ex that exudes. So so if you're looking for the difference, 
what and, and is that all it needed? You know, Dombrowski's coming through. He's high fiving everybody after the game. Like it was just kind of a fun place to be. Is that is that all it needed? I mean, I am a I'm a big believer in culture. I mean, look at the end of the day, you you need the horses. Like I will tell you that as a coach at, at the high school level, if you, if you don't have pitching, you're not going to win. Like if you don't have guys that that can swing the bats, you're probably not going to win. But when you have some talent, you know, you can have a talented team and go 500, or you could have a talented team that wins a conference or, you know, pushes for a a South Jersey championship. If you, if you push them right, if you, if you have the horses, like I think you can, you can get something more out of them. And I think that the Phillies have the horses. Like, yes, the team has deficiencies They're They've been on display frequently. We saw a lot of them on Sunday, just in case you needed a reminder, but there's enough in that lineup and there's enough in that starting rotation where, yeah, I do think that culture, feel, vibe, all of those things can really come into play. And you talk about this like folksy energy from, from Rob Thompson. Well, I can't think of a, a more perfect storm. The guy was born in Ontario, so he, he grows up there, and then he goes and plays college baseball at Kansas. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, you talk about just, like, being in certain regions that kind of create a, a certain personality or a vibe. I mean, Rob Thompson, if I, if I said to you, hey, would you believe that he's Canadian and also played baseball in Kansas? You'd say, that makes perfect sense, you know, <laughs> when you talk to the guy. I mean, he, and he's very likable guy. You, you see in brief interactions with him why players would would love him, you know? Not that you didn't see it with Joe. Like, I think what happens behind closed doors is what's really most important. But there is just certain, like, a... I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's like, the things that get said by Joe and the things that get said by Rob, like, they may not be all that different, but I do think that there's, like, more of just, like, this sincerity... You know, like there's like a little bit well, more of a genuine nature about the guy. Well, it's it's, it's interesting. You know, you know when you hear that, when you hear what Ricky said, and you and you walk in that clubhouse and you see that different vibe, um, or feel that different vibe, and then you hear and then you think about what Dombrowski has said about Joe as a manager, and he and he says he's a good baseball man, right? He's a he's he's a fine manager. He's a good baseball man. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? That tells you that when it comes down to the game. The guy knows the game. The guy, the guy knows how to manage the game, but he doesn't say he's a good leader of people. And I think that that's. And a lot of times we have this discussion. You know, I mean, obviously you do it as a coach. I teach a class in, called leadership, right? We talk about how you have to how 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 you have to bring people together to work together and, and group dynamics and things like that. And and maybe if you don't have that gene that to know how to get you know to manage 25 different personalities and to get them to, to mesh together, that, that's, that could be a flaw. And yeah. that could be a flaw. And so when we're sitting here watching games and you know, you're criticizing the manager, well, are you really criticizing the manager for what's going on in the game? Or are you criticizing the manager for what's not going on in the game? Right. And I, and, and I think that that's, Listen, and, you know and what I'm saying? Fair, and, and to be fair, like there's, it, it, because there's no way to just put your finger on it and say it's this, like Joe Girardi also... I don't know because Joe didn't connect with his players that he couldn't get, find somebody in the ninth inning to close out a game. Like, right, yeah, yeah. I, at the, and that's where I do come back and I say, listen, like, obviously this doesn't all fall on him, but I do think over the grind of a five, six-month stretch, those things do matter. Sure. And so I think the two things can be simultaneously true together. Yes. yes. Like, it's not just fault that whoever, insert horrible veteran reliever that underperformed late in games – is that all of his fault? No, but I, I think that there is a certain mentality, a certain vibe, like, a hey, we can overcome this. I've got it tonight. Just momentum. I do think that all of those things can be changed by what a manager brings to the table. And as robotic as the game has become, as the gut has been removed from the game, it's become very numbers-based. We just talked about, you know, not bunning in the eighth inning. It's just not the way the game is anymore. So I think that some people will say, managers simply don't matter in baseball. I, I think that's utter bullshit, to be honest with you. I don't know how you could be around this game every single day and tell me that a coaching staff doesn't matter or that a manager doesn't matter. And I understand it's not the NFL. I think that the NFL... And I don't really understand hockey quite as much. I know that the NBA is a star-driven league. I think in the NFL, probably a head coach is is more important than he may be in other sports. But you cannot tell me 
that a manager in Major League Baseball is, is not a difference maker. No way. Hey, Bob, speaking of um, throwing whoever into the ninth inning. Yeah. How did Sir Anthony Dominguez look last night in the ninth inning? He looked all right. I think that we're actually at the point where not only is he the Phillies' best option, but he's become one of the best relievers in the game. So I think you can definitively say that at this point. I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I don't know how you go back to Kniebel at this point in that role. In, in that role. I mean, you can, you can go to Kniebel, and, and he could be the guy if Dominguez is down. Like, if Dominguez has pitched, you know, thrown too many pitches and you need another guy to close, you could certainly go to Kniebel. That's fine. But I think that the roles have to switch, right? I mean, I at this point. Do you think that with him um, sitting out a couple days here, they're, they're trying to get the shoulder uh, back on track, do you think that this creates, like, a nice natural break where they say, okay, you know, you're working your way back, we're not going to give you the ball with a one-run lead in the ninth or first few times? Like, do you think that this is a nice little breaking point? Because if you're going to do it, it would make sense to do it right now. And it wouldn't be such a slap in the face, like, because it's not coming off of a meltdown. It's well, like, right. listen. And, and I think it's important to do it now, Bob, because if you're going to go out and add a relief pitcher before the deadline, okay, and they're probably, they, which they probably will, the question, would, the question that I would have if I'm, if I'm Dave Dombrowski is at the deadline, do I need a closer or do I need a late-inning fireman, seventh, eighth-inning guy? And if Dominguez, over the course of the next month, month and a half, proves to you I'm your ninth-inning guy, great. I, that, I don't need that. I need I this. Said. But if not, we already saw that he could do that seventh, eighth-inning kind of role. He could be your, your new Hector Neris, right, in that regard. Uh, what, Hector Neris. I, I know we were all doing the Hector Neris thing, like, oh, I should have kept Hector. Hector's uh, falling on some hard times lately. Yeah, actually. I know. I know. His, his I last, that. like, three, four weeks have been pretty rough. So. Yeah. Uh, but I'm saying you could put keep Dominguez back in that seventh, eighth inning role, but then you go get a closer. So I think this is an opportunity to find out what, do, what exactly will I need at that trade deadline to bolster this bullpen. So, yes, I think this is the time to make that move. No question about it. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about where Sir Anthony Dominguez is at right now. Do you know last time Sir Anthony Dominguez gave up a run? Any idea last time Sir Anthony Dominguez allowed a run? May 3rd. Wow. 14 straight appearances without wow. giving up a run. Here you go. Since May 8th, he's appeared in 14 games. He's pitched 14 innings. He's allowed six hits and five walks so he's allowed 11 base runners in 14 innings 19 strikeouts no home runs allowed obviously because he hasn't allowed a run I mean he's been he's been out of his mind opponents are hitting 125 against him in that stretch with a 374 OPS so yes when we talk about not only being the best option on this team he has been uh just Absolutely unbelievable. And we talk all the time about the Phillies going out and signing relievers and it not working. Yuri's familiar. Hello, how are you? But isn't this a great story where he he comes in, he's fantastic, you have such high hopes for the guy, and then he's basically out for two years, and you sort of just say, ah, you know, it, it just isn't going to work out, or he's probably going to return and never be the same. And here he is, he's been fantastic. I mean, I remember watching him throw some simulated games at the end of last year, and they were encouraged by what they saw, but he was like 93, 94, and you're like, he's just not the same guy. And and here he is now doing what he's doing. And it's, um, I mean, God, where on earth would this team be without Sir Anthony Dominguez right now? I know. That's great. It's, it is a great story, Bob. And, and that's good. And that's, that's a good thing for the Phillies because now you're starting to see a couple guys kind of fit into a couple of roles in right. that bullpen. Uh, Dominguez, obviously, Brad Hand for the most part, I mean, other than I mean, one or two um, spots. I mean, he's kind of been really solid as that late inning lefty, and and a re and a reverse lefty at that. Like he's he's actually pretty good against right-handed batters. So like he could come into that spot with that slider and kind of you know break it in on on break some bats on on some guys. So he's kind of fit that role. Maybe you hope Kniebel now settles into the role where he was in the Dodgers last year, which was more of a setup kind of situation. And maybe he fits that, and and that works out for him. Now all of a sudden you got a, a decent back end. You know, and a couple of the other guys, I mean, I know Bilotti got touched up on Sunday, but prior to that, he had been pretty solid for them. Um, Connor Brogdon seems to have, you know, other than the home run that he gave up the other night, but I think he's kind of 
fit into that like you know sixth inning kind of guy you can you can that chad durbin type that's who i like to compare him to right yeah. um uh, so I, th- I think you look at that thing and you say there is something you can kind of put together here i mean i i don't i don't need to see any more jose alvarado I texted you that seven pitches into his return. I don't. Yeah. Need to see, I don't need to see Familia like in these spots. Bro, I mean, and, and you can't obviously overhaul your entire bullpen, especially when you don't really have any depth to to mix in. Now they bring back Jose Alvarado. He goes down to Lehigh Valley, and he. This is actually on the list of things I wanted to talk about. Um, I, I wanted to keep it positive. I actually just wanted to. Can Can we just pause on that for one second? <laughs> I do want to just say because I, I've been critical of Reese Hoskins this season, and and maybe over time. Uh, another guy that I've, I've sort of picked apart over the last couple of years, and not really this year, but but over the past couple of years, I've been fairly hard on Aaron Nolan. And can we just talk about what he's done his last two starts before we get into to the bullpen? Sure. 15 innings pitched, 10 hits, two earned runs, 12 strikeouts over those last two games against the Milwaukee Brewers and then last night against the Marlins. And the thing that... I was so impressed by last night, and I know, you know, listen, he, he gives up two runs last night. He knew that he had to match Alcantara pitch for pitch. Like, there was no margin for error. So, I I just felt like last night, is this a game where he tries to be too fine? Like, we've seen Aaron Nola try to dance around the zone too much. I know that Miami isn't the, the greatest offense or doesn't have the best lineup in baseball, but I was just really impressed with the way that he kept the team in the game. And I know that when you talk about Aaron Nola, like, this is what he's supposed to do. So, like, I don't want to, like, applaud him for what should be the expectation. But when there's been a guy that has failed to deliver so many times in these types of spots, the, the game that he gave them last night, I was just really encouraged by it. I, I just look at where he's at, and I think that he's sort of turned the corner from that mental standpoint where... You, you aren't looking at his starts anymore saying, like, what's he going to give us tonight? I think that you feel reasonably confident that you're going to get an above-average start from Aaron Nolan. I'm not telling you that he's an all-star. I'm not telling you that he's going to be in Cy Young contention at the end of the year. But I, I think that what you have right now is so far removed in a positive direction from what you saw last season. You know, Bob, it, the difference, I think, between last season and this season is all about his command of his fastball. Fastball, yeah. Totally I mean, great. really, it's like I, when you watch him pitch, he's got confidence in it this year. Whereas last year, it was just I got to throw the curve, I got to throw the change, and guys were just sitting there waiting on the breaking stuff. They would they would just spit on the on the fastballs like whatever. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wait till he throws a breaking ball over the plate, and that's where he would get beat, and that's where he would get hurt. This year, he's got really good command of that fastball. He's hitting hitting corners with it, and guys are gotta be up gotta be up there like, oh no, now we have to think about three different potential pitches not only that he actually throws two different fastballs and the one fastball he throws seems like it actually does a couple different things so it's almost like he's got five pitches even though he's really only got three right I mean but you know um it's really kind of he's got that two seam he's got a four seam but that but the two seam actually has two different runs on it so it's kind of weird I, I don't know I don't know if it's a different grip how he throws it maybe it's different against lefties and righties maybe I don't know but it just looks different at times when you see that two seamer coming and of course, the you know the changeup is still devastating, and the curve is pretty good. Um, and and you know what? If he's mixing those pitches up like that, and you say I don't know if he's an All Star, I don't know if he's a Cy Young candidate, he's probably not an All Star. And I was going to ask you this question at some point today because I wonder how many Phillies are All Stars this year. I, <laughs> you could you could make a case for a good handful of them, um, but obviously they're not going to take five Phillies, right? So the question is, who is who isn't? So maybe he's not. But I think if you look at those numbers, compare them to the rest of the league, he's he's got to be in the conversation, at least right now, amongst maybe, you know, five to seven pitchers to say, yeah, man, if he keeps this up, he's got to be back in the conversation for Cy Young, doesn't he? Even if he's so, behind even if he's behind Wheeler. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I can go for that. I, I suppose if he keeps it up, we have a long way to go. I think he's got to make what another twenty starts or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's certainly like on the fringe. I don't think that he's amongst the 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 leaders at this point. But I will tell you this: just taking a quick look at it, uh, starting pitchers right now. Just looking at, at WAR wins above replacement from Fangraphs. Uh, Nola, both leagues here, eighth overall. I mean, that's pretty good. And amongst <laughs> NL pitchers, you're talking about oh, let's see, Alcantara. Wheeler, Musgrove, Nola. So 
there's your there's your top four in, in war right now in the National League. And there's a lot of different ways that you can quantify starting pitching performance, no doubt. But he's on a short list. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, he's a guy that I, I think is – is not getting enough publicity for as well as he's pitching. I think I think we get I think we got to we we kind of say, oh well yeah, but you remember last year. Oh yeah, but do you remember the the September collapse in in the year before that or whatever. I mean, like there's always that oh but oh but oh but with Aaron Nola. Until I, until I see it this year, until I see him have several like bad starts in a row or three out of five or something like that. As long as he's being as consistent as he is, I'm on board with him. Yeah, what really helps him is be behind Alcantara, who's thrown 91 and a third this year. Nola's second in baseball in innings pitch at 81 and two thirds. So that that really helps. And the only thing is that list that I just gave you of guys that are uh, near the top in WAR. Nola's ERA doesn't really match what you're seeing from some of these other guys. Like for instance, right? Like I just gave you Alcantara 1.68, Wheeler 2.84, Musgrove 1.50, Nola 3.42. But again, it's like another situation where he's had his bad starts have kind of clustered on him and then everything else is one run, two runs, no runs. I mean, the other part is that you go, and I know people are tired of hearing this, but it's the same thing where the ERA doesn't really match up with expected outcome. It, it, it's always been like that with him. Well, it's, because, it's, it's because of the oh. defense behind him. Yeah. In all yeah. honesty. Yeah. In all honesty. Hey, one more, one more positive. Then we can start. Then we can rip Alvarado. <laughs> and then rip the bullpen, and <laughs> we can rip Alvarado at that point. Um, and I know we, I know I brought it up the last time, uh, and I want to just bring it up again, just to kind of mention it because again, he was involved in the win last night, um, and we didn't even mention it. Matt Veerling um, <laughs> gets the hit, and then st- that steal of second base is huge because that's how the game is. I mean, he, I don't know. Does, I don't think he scores. The outfield's probably playing a little bit deeper if he's still on first base. Hoskins hit, yeah, he gets the third, but the Phillies are still going to need another another hit to get the, the winning run in. So him stealing second base, I think, is a huge play. And again, it's another example of a young guy. You now he's played third base yesterday, played second base on Saturday when I was down there for the first time in his career. Um, so he's showing showing some versatility, showing some athleticism, being able to you know, you know steal that base and you've got some speed. And I'll tell you again, Bob, one more time. I know he's hitting 196. It's hard to say. It's hard to get excited about a guy hitting 196. Take the first week of the season out of the mix, out of the equation. And it's when I say first week, I literally mean first week. First week. It was seven days. Take those first seven days of the season out of the mix. He's hitting 268, 333, 724. Yeah, that's not okay. bad. I mean, it's not. It's We're not. Set the, it's not to set the world on fire, but it's certainly good to be a fourth, fifth outfielder and a reserve infielder by, by yeah, all means. By all means. I think it's just a matter of overexposure. You don't want him playing six days a week. That's all. Yeah. If he's not playing six days a week and he's playing two, three times a week, defensive replacement late, he's showing you some, some really valuable versatility, ultra impressive what he's been able to do, coming and playing multiple infield spots now. I mean, yeah, I think that what he's done – over the last week has bought himself some time where the first sign of trouble, the first sign of an 0 for 6 stretch, he's not back in Lehigh Valley. You know, I think right. I think he's given himself a little cushion here and shown that he belongs on a roster which frankly lacks depth. So it, it, it shouldn't really take a whole lot. And I'll say this, now that you bring him up, I am kind of, one thing I will say, I, I didn't love the game that Rob Thompson managed last night. I didn't. But... I will give him credit for this, and maybe maybe I'm overextending my, my credit here, but we talked about Didi Gregorius last night in the eighth inning coming up with that hit against the lefty. Do you think the previous manager pinch hits in that situation? Now, I know that the Phillies are thin in the infield, but they could have pulled it off if they wanted to. If they wanted to go to Alec Bohm in that spot, and say, okay, we're going to take the bat out of Gregorius's hands. We don't want the lefty-lefty matchup. We're going to go lefty-right with Boehm. You bring him into the game. You play him at third. And then you, you played Veerling at second base on Saturday. You move him over to second, slide Stott to shortstop. Mm-hmm. So you could have made the move at that point if you wanted to play lefty-righty. And Thompson just said, no, screw it. You know, we like, we'll like we we'll take our shot with Didi here. And he does it for him. Yeah. I, and I wonder if you overmanage in that spot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, you know, no, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know how you look at the, the, your defense, and you know, do you do you look at it and say we're just going for it here, and if it fails, uh oh, we don't have the greatest setup on, on defense, or do you look at it and say 
Yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll be all right. I, I yeah, and, and not to say that Alec Boom's an automatic win in that situation either. It's not like they're going to a guy that's hitting 330. It's not like you're bringing Nolan Arenado into the game, or you know, not that he's hitting 330, but you get my point. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're not bringing in a premium player off the bench at that point. You're bringing in Alec Boom, who's fine, but it's not necessarily such an upgrade. But I just think sometimes managers get so tunnel visioned into that left right matchup, especially late in games, that they might make that move in that spot. Yeah, so you know. I was, I was kind of wondering, would they make that move? And when they didn't, I said, okay, great. Um, okay. So, well, actually, I'm going to wait one more second. You brought up the All-Star thing. Let's just talk about that okay. first. All right. I, I think the answer is three. I, I know you you said as many as five. I have a feeling Nola is going to get left out. Um, he, I mean, certainly he, he's within striking distance of it. Yeah. I mean, they'll set this team in what? About... The All-Star game's later this year. It's like actually yeah. the third week of July. So I don't know when they'll set the team, but you figure the week after the 4th of July or yeah. the week, you know, the 4th of July I think falls on a Monday this year. Is that right? Yes. So like probably later that week they would set the team. So Nola's going to make another, what, four starts or so probably before then. He would have the ability if he throws seven innings, two runs or less, another four times. Like I don't know how you leave him out. But I'm just going to guess that he is left out. And you're going to get Wheeler, you're going to get Harper, and you're going to get Dominguez. That's that's going to be my guess. That's what you get. Or do you think Dominguez gets left off because he hasn't closed? Or is baseball moved beyond the point where who the hell cares, you just take the best arms? Yeah, I, mean, I would have said if this were the late 90s, Dominguez would have no shot. No shot, know? right. It would all it'd be all closers. But they do, they, they, you know, in recent All-Star games have gone with middle relief guys. Um, like, if Dominguez gets to the point where you select the all-star team and he hasn't given up a run over 20 appearances, like, how, how do you leave him off? How do you leave him off, right? I mean, you're right. You know, absolutely. You're absolutely so right. So, I, I think you, you certainly can make a case for Nola. You said that they could get as many as five. I'm trying uh, to stretch I, to think about a fifth. I, like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not there yet. Schwarber, like, it just... Yeah, yeah you, not there yet. No. But... I'm impressed with Kyle Schwarber. I will tell you one more thing on the positive train. I'll tell you what, man. We're very positive today. One thing that uh, you get you get into a potential postseason scenario, and you know that pitching is always going to beat good hitting. But I will tell you this, and Matt Gelb actually, I think, like I, to be perfectly honest with you, I did not read the entire story. We we're just about to record when I got into it. But I read the first couple paragraphs, and the thesis was basically that uh, the top of the order is is probably the reason that the Phillies have had their resurgence the way that they have had uh, over the last 11 games or so. And you look at last night against Alcantara, who's so good. And we've obviously made a big deal about that. But Kyle Schwarber, two for five. Reese Hoskins, two for four with a walk. Bryce Harper, one for two with two walks. I mean, you're talking about right there... Those guys being on base a total of eight times, one, two, and three in your order. And I know that Real Muto has gone through his struggles. Nick Castellanos has not been great. And then you're getting a fluctuating performance from the bottom of your lineup. But, like, if you can get your best hitters to lock in and, and against premium pitching, which is obviously what you'll see in the postseason, like, there's a reason to believe. Like, if the Phillies can get in and you have this type of depth, and you have this this type of talent at the top of your order, that's a tough out, especially when you see Wheeler and Nola 1-2. That's a bad matchup. If I'm, a, if I'm a team that, let's say the Phillies get the third wild card, and I'm a team that's won 95-plus games, and I have to go see them in the first round, like, I'm not thrilled about that. Yeah. No, I know no, we're way ahead of ourselves. No, here. no, you're not. But you're, have, you're right. Like, I don't have the Phillies like marching into the postseason. Like there's a hundred games left. Like I know I actually kind of feel silly even bringing this up, but it was a thought I had last night as, as I watched these at bats, I was like, damn, this is pretty impressive against this guy. Like they're having some pretty good at bats here. And then, you know, I, I saw Gelb sort of write that this morning. I said, okay, you know, that, that's something to kind of project out. Should they, should they get there? Yeah. I, I and, and um, we talked about this and I, I think that, uh, you know, Rob, Rob, Rob Thompson even said it himself. Um, they, they finally sat Cassianos for a game. Yeah. Uh, you know, give him a game off. I know he pinch hit and came into the game, but whatever. Kind of give him a, a day off. Um, I, like, is, is, is there another guy? Like, is that, you know, a situation where 
It's just a guy who just needs a quick little reset, and then he comes in, and then all of a sudden you can add him to that same grouping because he'll start to figure it out. And you know, Rob Thompson said he's going to put up those numbers. Uh, there's, he says 100%. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to put up the numbers that we're used to seeing from Nicholas Castellanos. Now, I, that could be just him being, you know, you know, supporting his player. But it's also, you know, if you seriously believe that, if you seriously believe that, that that's what it's going to be, well, then, you know, th- you can add a fourth person to that, right. you know, to, to that top of the order and say. Well, I, I think you certainly hope so. And, I mean, it's weird. Like, in his defense, and, and granted, he was he was so bad on Sunday. And yeah. he said after the game, he's like, I haven't felt comfortable this year. And, you know, he, he owns it, and that's great. And it's not like he's been a disaster, you know, like – He's still hitting 254, the 720 OPS, and and it's weird because it doesn't feel like it's that good. It almost feels like he's hitting 220 with a 630 OPS. Like you, it's been so underwhelming. But even as bad and as uncomfortable as he's been, it, it, he admits as such, it hasn't been like a a dumpster fire of a season for him. So you hope that like if this is his floor, if like this is him really struggling. You hope that there's enough bounce there where you, he gets back to really rolling the way that he was a season ago. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And so, I so I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not like, as concerned about him as I, I guess, like, pe- some people are. Or, like, I know the contract relative to the production hasn't been there. But, like, I haven't reached the point where I go, oh, this is this is a bust or this is a catastrophe. Like, I just don't feel that with him. Like, I still feel like he's going to figure it out. And just a guy I've watched play a ton over the last few years. I just love the way that he hits. I, I love his approach. I love what he brings offensively. And I don't know. You, the one thing I actually do wonder about sometimes with him is that like, I don't think that the expectation was that he was going to go play 50 plus games out in right field to this point either. And like, I do right. wonder if that variable has impacted him at all. Like not that he hasn't played the field before and not that it really should carry over all that much, but when he came here, I don't think that the expectation was that he was going to go play right field six days a week. And I don't know. Not that I'm making an excuse for the guy, but I do wonder if there has been some adjustment phase there. You know, he doesn't get to a ball in the gap or a ball that should be a double turns into a triple. Or, you know, there's a play that he doesn't make for his pitcher. Like, those are, from a psychological standpoint, kind of roll over and be like, damn, man, like, this isn't what I expected. You know, and does that have any carryover? To, to the offensive side of things. Yeah, and by the way, the last thing, we remember we were, talk, we were saying, I, I, I was giving you, I said they could get as many as five guys to the All-Star game. Um, do you know, even though he's having a, a relatively down year, that Real Muto is still number yeah, two I know. Among, amongst I catchers know. in war behind only yeah. Wilson Contreras. I mean, you can unless you count Dalton Varsho, who, who filled in while Carson Kelly was out catching. I mean, so he does have some catching at bats, but he's, he's mostly an outfielder. For, for and he has the benefit of being JT Romuto also. You yeah. Know? He has the he has the name. Yeah. So, that's so I mean, yeah, is he, is he two good weeks away from putting himself there? Yeah, yeah I guess well, so. I mean, I mean, but I mean, like I said, I mean, if you go, if you look at, if you were going to do Fangraph's war, NL catchers, only Wilson Contreras is ahead of him. Yeah. Catchers don't hit. So, so you look at OPS plus and you still see that relative to the rest of the game, like he's, he's been fine. I just think that what you're look, we in the city sort of look at contract expectation, best catcher in baseball, big money, a guy that was hitting in the middle of the order last night. I was going to say last season, two seasons yeah. ago, the year that he had in 2020. Come on, man. You know, so especially when you see plays like you saw Sunday, which effectively I think ended that game before it really started. What a bizarre play that was, by the way. Yeah, truly bizarre play. I don't think he thought, by the way, if we were recording this on Monday, we'd be talking about this more in depth. I don't think he thought the ball was coming home. I think that he watched that ball go into play and just didn't process immediately, oh, he's coming home with it. He did quickly. Like, he recovered. But I think he was just totally out of sorts throughout the entirety of that play. I I think he was a step late and was like, whoops, and then, like, (laughs) just never had his bearings. I really do. Yeah, it was weird. That was totally weird. Uh, Okay, so we're, we're running up against the hour here. Um... Let's talk about the bullpen. Jose Alvarado goes down to Lehigh Valley, makes four appearances down there. He allows one hit and one walk in four appearances. Uh, No runs allowed, strikes out five. It looks like he's throwing more strikes. He's figured it out. Sunday morning, they bring him back. He's in a meaningless game with, I believe, the Phillies down seven runs at that point. 
All he has to do is come in and throw strikes, and he can't do it. I wrote on Sunday, I don't know how much longer, and I know where you're at on this, I don't know how much longer the Phillies can continue to trot him out there, period. And yes, comma, you can probably wonder the same about James Norwood, too. James Norwood is now gone, so we sniff that one out. Alvarado has got to be coming to the end line here, no? Yes. He's already passed it, in my mind. But yes, he's got to be coming close. Um you know, there's you got to be able to find something better than that out there. You just can and I get it, and you you've, you've you've made the point in the past. Uh, you know, at least with him, you bring him into the game, and he throws hard enough, and he can sometimes be effectively wild enough that you get a strikeout in a key spot. Right. But he's so out of control, like guys are just taking you know moving up his wild pitches. I mean, I, how many does he have, Bob? I mean, I didn't even count. I didn't even look at this. I, I swear, I didn't even look at it. But like I, you know, I know that you know he's had a few already this year. It's just like you know, and Real Muto's back there, like what the hell, man? Um, uh, I, I he, bet, has I bet thrown, he has thrown four? Four, four wild pitches so far in uh, fourteen innings. Okay, I mean, <laughs> think about that. Let's let's just be honest with that number, okay? Just put that out over over a full season for uh, like you know, we say a reliever gets seventy innings, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you're talking Anthony, about sixteen Anthony, to twenty wild pitches. Plus. His ERA plus this season is 49. 49. <laughs> and for everybody out there, like, 100 is is average. Like, that's yeah. that's where your league average reliever is. Like, last year, he struggled. We were annoyed by him at points. 98. So he was, he was basically in line with a, a league average reliever. Forget that they were using him in the highest of leverage spots. Right. This season, 49. His whip right now is 2.143. He's walking 7.7 batters per nine innings. What are we doing? Yeah, now you see can't. the 10.9 strikeouts per nine, and that's why he's here. But, I mean, I know they don't have a lot of options. I know that you see, who was it that they recalled yesterday? Michael Kelly? Michael Kelly, I mean, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a guy. Like, he is a filler. If he's pitching for you in meaningful spots, you're in trouble. They don't have a lot out there, and I guess that's why he's still here. But, my goodness. Uh, so you go back to Mark Appel and you say, like, how much longer before he gets a crack? Because, and I know you're talking lefty-righty here, two different things, two different, totally different types of pitchers. Appel's a contact guy from the right side, but my God, man. Yeah, it's just, it's, I've, I've had enough. I've had enough of Familia, too, in all honesty. I mean, that's, but that's He's not me. going anywhere. Six million? Yeah. No way. Nah, He's, uh, you, you got a whole, you've got a whole year of yours. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. <laughs> Jerry Game Sunday, Saturday, you were there, and uh, you you saw him come in, right? And I will, I'll give Rob Thompson credit for this. Two outs right away. Hey, he's he's probably going to get through the inning. Base runner, base runner, base runner. And he yanks him. He doesn't get let out. the he doesn't four nothing. I think it was at that point, right? Yep. It was four nothing. Yeah, we're not going to let this get to four two, and then have to bring in another reliever. That's enough. And, yeah, uh, I yep. see too many managers try to try to force their way through innings there. And that was a yep. good yank. No, get out. See you later. Thanks for playing. Uh, right. I got one well, last. I got one yeah. last thing for you, Bob. And and this is um, this uh, is not about the Phillies, but once again, kind of maybe you, know, you can think about it for the Phillies. Read an article um, uh, in USA Today uh, by Bob Nightingale, and he was writing about Trey Turner and the year Trey Turner's having um, for. The Dodgers. Uh, right now, I think he's hitting 299 with an 820 OPS, 353 on base. Like, just really having a, a, a great season. Um, and as part, of, as part of the interview, as part of the story, he decided to just check in with Bryce Harper just to see, you know, talk about Turner. Um, and here's what Harper says. I think Trey Turner is one of the most underrated players in the game. He's one of those guys that just goes under the radar. He's one of the best shortstops in the game. I'm excited to see where he goes next year. <laughs> Why are you excited, Bryce? <laughs> now, uh, he, Turner said some great things about Bryce as well. So it's like that you know, mutual admiration society. But they were teammates before. We have two middle infielders whose contracts are up at the end of this year that 
add up to about $25 million? I was just going to bring that up. I said, well, <laughs> let's just get out in front of this. And so we can clearly define it. Didi Gregorius is making, uh, let's see here, what, $14 million, $15.5 million this season? Yeah. $14.5 million. And Gene Segura has a club option next year for $17 million, which I assume is not going to be picked up. So right. that being said, yeah, you're talking about between the two of these guys with, with Segura making fourteen two five and Gregorius making fourteen five, about $29 million this year off the books. And then if you know if if you like Bryson Stop better at second base than the shortstop, there's one one concern I have with this, and it, it's the only one. And, and Trey Turner is is a phenomenal player. Yeah. I mean, do you know what my concern is? No, he's, he's not a very good fielder. Okay. And at some point, like you look at this and hitting three hundred. 15 OPS. He's got 13 stolen bases. I mean, he's, he's a 25-30 steal guy in a in a league where that's uncommon these days. I love him from an offensive standpoint. He's coming off a year where he hit 328 with a 911 OPS. Like he's having a down year in comparison to what he did last year. He's just not a very good defensive shortstop. And could you talk him into playing? Actually, I was talking to Tim Kelly, uh, Phillies Nation, Odyssey. And he was like, I wonder if you could talk him to playing second base and, and play Stott at shortstop. But He played second for the Dodgers, right? Yeah. Like I, I, with last year with Seager at shortstop. He's a good player. It's a, in an a, in arms race. The NL East he's is played, He's played center field before. Yeah. I mean, listen, the NL East is an arms race, right? Like, yeah. the Mets aren't going to stop spending money. The, the Braves aren't going to stop developing fantastic young talent. And you hope that the Phillies will, too, in time. But in, in the time being, it always goes back to it. We'll always reset the same conversation. You can't waste the primes of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola and, and Bryce Harper. And so you always have to continue to spend and reload. And some of that money comes off the books the way that it does. It wouldn't be surprising to have the Phillies linked to him. No, of course not. But you, you do at some point have to revamp this defense and get better somewhere. And maybe that's Boom Hoskins. We've had that conversation a million times. But, yeah, like it's something you definitely look at. I'm just saying, there was also part of that Nightingale was also told previously um, in a previous story that he had written that the Phillies are going to be active in the shortstop market next year. Because um, you also have uh, Correa again, right? Because he only signed a one-year deal. With Minnesota, I believe is that correct? I think uh, I think see. I think Correa is is back in that in that mix. Um, no, uh, he unless there's uh, just looking at this, unless there's there's player options. Okay, yeah. So what he did was he signed a three year deal, but only one year's locked in. He has a thirty five million dollar player option for twenty three and twenty four. Okay. So yeah, I mean. He's he's guaranteed himself 105 million if he doesn't want to opt out of it. Right, right, right. But I mean that's totally going to be up to him. So I mean, but there's and I think there's somebody else as a free agent. Is uh, Swanson a free agent next year? He might yeah, be I, the other one. I, he's, I forget. He's a player that annoys me. Like I respect I him, but that's not a guy that I I want. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm not a, I'm not as big a Dansby Swanson fan. Um, but I, I'm if I'm try, I'm just trying to remember that previous story that I had written. Um, so does Correa uh, do better than 35 a year? Like, or can he secure 35 a year plus for more than two more years based on what he's done this season? I mean, he's hitting 302, 832 OPS. Again, remember, we're talking about a shortstop here, so those numbers play up even better. Yeah, uh, I, f- I found you know, the article, I found it. So, this does, was, does he opt out of that? Um, I mean, he could. I mean, if, if, if you know. Remember the Tigers offered him, what was it, ten years, two seventy five, and he turned it down. Right. Um, and he set and, and he, he settled for what he got with Minnesota. Um, but if he has the opt out, the reason he has the opt out is if he has a big enough season. Do you think that he can can he get thirty five million over more than the next two years? Yeah. Probably. So what is the contract, right? So like that's where with Trey Turner, like yes, it makes sense in twenty three, and yes, the Phillies need to reload, and yes, they have a needed shortstop, and they'll want to solidify their middle infield for the next ten years or you know six seven years with Stott, maybe Turner. That all makes a lot of sense. 
put it, at what price? You know, are you paying thirty plus million over the next eight years to do it? And do the Phillies want to enter into that type of market? So it'll be yeah. interesting to see for sure. Yeah, uh, the other name, the other name that I was that I forgot that they uh, that he mentioned in that story was Xander Bogarts. Okay. Yeah. But I'm not certain that he's a good shortstop option. You want to talk about a guy who's not a good defensive shortstop? Right. <laughs> He'd be better at second uh, or third, but I, I can't see. Boy, same deal, though. He can hit. My goodness, he can hit. Yes, he so. can. Yes, he can hit. So just thought it, just, a, just a little something-something to think uh, for down the road. Absolutely. Just found it interesting that Bryce said what he said. And, you know, Harper yeah. – and Turner called Harper, by the way, called Harper the best player in the world. Yeah. You see that, that – that bro love already starting off in the distance. And yeah. everything that Bryce Harper does and says is very calculated. And he yep. picks his words very wisely. And I am not saying that he's going out and openly recruiting or anything like that. But, like, Bryce Harper knows exactly what he's doing at all times. Yep. yep. And, and so I don't think that he doesn't have a direct pipeline to that front office because he does. So. Yes, he does. So just yeah. thought, I, just found that, I just found that, like, a little interesting midseason story that you, you, you look ahead to 20, you know, to 23. Because not a lot of people are looking ahead to 23. And all of a sudden be like, hmm. It's hard to look ahead to 23 when you have a World Series team in town in 22, Anthony. I know. I hear you. I hear you. Well, all right. So. Uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. Phillies have two more against the Marlins here before they play about 400 games against the Nationals uh, over the next week. And uh, so things do set up pretty well here for them. Can they take advantage of it? We will be back later this week with our second episode. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. We will talk to you guys soon. Be sure to subscribe, like, do all the things that you can do anywhere that you listen or watch this podcast. And we will talk to everybody soon.